1: welcome back to the official sec slow smoke podcast this is a conference championship recap special episode i'm your host alex joined by my two bros Whole smash what's up
2: hey alex how's it going man
1: <laughs> doing pretty fantastic mr jb brooks is also on the other line what's up jb
3: i'm doing pretty well alex did you have a uh, safe travel home today
1: I did, and you'll be happy to know that I did make it back in time before the uh, 325 Central Time kickoff for the Titans game. I get to watch that out and about here in the greater Atlanta area. So, big win for the Titans and a uh, long day of traveling, but um, I made it through it. So, I'll be, I'll be back in Memphis in two weeks for Christmas. Can't Alex, uh,
2: I actually have a question for you uh, that our listeners may want to know. Um, mm-hmm. Some people may know that you were in the St. Jude race uh, marathon here in Memphis. That's why you're in town. And I just want to know, did you win? I did not win, but as I
1: told you earlier uh, yesterday, I did uh, beat the first place girl. She came up on me in mile, this is a half marathon. So 13 miles, 13 mile race. And she came up on me a mile nine or 10. And I let her, I let her run for a little bit, let her get her glory in front of all her little friends that said, Come on, you're the first girl, and like I had to listen to that for a couple of miles, and then I passed her in the last like mile and a half, and uh, very scary to know that there's girls out there that are faster than you. But you just gotta accept where you are in life sometimes.
2: Did you uh, did you tell her to suck it at the finish line?
1: I told her to suck my tits, is what I told her. Because <laughs> I, I feel like if I said suck my dick, that's a little that's a little too much. But tits, like she could understand.
2: Yeah, that was very gentlemanly of you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did, and. And, um, it's just, it is, it is what it is. That's kind of a runner I am, but, um, I did not see the Kenyans in first place after the first mile. Um, I thought, um, I thought they were going to come back to me, but, uh, they actually knew what they were doing. I was like, man, they must've just been watching Forrest Gump on loop like all night before this to get pumped up for the race. But
2: they just uh, felt like running.
1: I guess they if they were ever going somewhere, they were, they were running anyway, Holt, there is a lot of shits that happened this weekend. Would you describe this weekend as a, or excuse me, would you say a shit ton happened this week, Holt, or would you go to the next level and say a fuck ton or a tit ton happened this weekend?
2: I have never used the phrase tit ton before. So I feel like that has to be reserved for yes. um, some type of doomsday scenario. I would, I would just say a shit ton. I think a shit ton is a, is a fair uh, quantity, uh, you know, to quantify uh, the amount of stuff that went down this weekend. Um, you know we got crazy stuff. We got bowl games. We got uh, some bowl game drama. We got playoff. And, you know coaching hires and all that stuff. Somebody somebody told
1: me once upon a time somebody said something about tit ton and like I've been I've been reserving that in my back pocket to use because like it's just it's just it's just fun to use when you have to use it but it's it's too soon for this weekend. There there was a shit ton, not quite a tit ton, um, but yeah. So before we uh, get into um, talking about the conference championship. Let me just lay out the show here because there is quite a bit, um, as Holt stated, a shit ton to talk about. So we have, um, as JB wants me to remind everyone, that we are going to have a Bowl Mania SEC Slow Smoke pick on, I'm assuming ESPN, JB? That is correct. Uh, our group is going to be called SEC Slow Smoked, and you'll be able to find us
3: on the ESPN uh, Bowl Mania contest and we'll be setting that up at the
2: conclusion of this podcast, well, and uh, uh, you'll, you'll get an opportunity to compete against the reigning champion, uh, the one and only Michael Warren. Um, so, if you think you're smarter than Michael when it comes to bowl pickums, you're going to have an opportunity to uh, to go against the best we have to offer. Um, as my cousin Michael, who won it last year, so shout out to him.
1: Are we are we rich enough, or I guess more? better word would be are we uh generous enough or we might give out some like chick-fil-a gift cards to like the top two winners <laughs> <laughs> That's, that sounds like a fuck no from hole <laughs> <laughs> we're man.
2: saving all our money for destined trips since everybody knows that
1: well, we're, we're just, we're not ready to give back. We're, we're, we're selling the, the How about we, uh we'll, we'll reserve and figure out what
3: we want to do. But at the very least, uh, the winner is going to get a shout out on this podcast. And
2: I mean, that's worth more than money. Let's be honest.
1: <laughs> Damn, y'all can't even get $5 gift card at Chick-fil-A or something. <laughs> y'all are some cheap ass people. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in $5 for the top two winners. So that's $5. I'll throw in, excuse me, I'll throw in $7 for the number the first place. And then that's a good out. idea. You know, we
3: can we can all chip in seven, you know, six, $7 each. We can all get a $20 gift card for the winner.
1: And then and then $10 for second place. Jamie, yeah, that's that's $30 split three ways. That's $10. And I know you spend like $15 when you go to five guys by yourself. So you're, speaking you're good of, at- yeah,
3: speaking of five guys, that was one of my uh, gifts that I got um, for uh, my birthday with my girlfriend's uh, family this morning. I got a $25 five guys gift card. So you know I'm about to go ham on that.
1: So Wanna thank uh Catherine's family for uh getting me that they know me too well. Debbie if you're if you're a real team player, you would just re gift that and for the uh Bowmania pick 'em winner. Um, <laughs> I really want my five guys. Yeah, I knew I knew I was uh, but Steph, I, I was think everyone
3: pro- I think
0: more
1: people probably want a Chick fil A gift card, because everyone loves Chick-fil-A. True. True. So let's let let me finish setting up the show here before the, the lineup for the show before we get off on a tangent here. So we talked about bold mania. So, you know, about that now, uh, SEC slow Smoked uh, pick them, bold, pick em on ESPN. Uh, one of us will tweet it out on our Twitters. And uh, next, there's obviously the coaching changes with. The big three of the SEC, Ole Miss, Missouri, and Arkansas, that are sounds like they're getting filled uh, slowly, but surely. The uh, SEC championship game among the other conference championship games and the final playoff ranking. I feel like we will talk the most about the coaching changes, so we'll start off with the conference championship weekend. Holt Smash, this game – as in the SEC championship game, is, to me, the – I think of this as the championship game that never was.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was just a really boring game. Um, Georgia's offense is really – I mean, to me, that's kind of the story of, like, the game is Georgia's offense being terrible. Um, you know, they had some receivers banged up. Um, Jay Fromm was very erratic at times and uh, just wasn't himself. And uh, that Georgia offense is just really struggling right now. And, um, you know, LSU just clicking on all cylinders. I mean, they're just – they're a complete team, and they just came out and they dominated this game from start to finish. Yeah, that's kind of
1: how I look at it. Uh, JB, do you think of Georgia as a, like, a fake great team now since they lost to LSU by so much?
3: Yeah, I mean, Georgia just – I mean, they're, they're super talented, but, you know, they've really underachieved uh, with the roster that they have. I mean, it's, let's just be fair. I mean – this was a uh, failure of a season for Georgia. I mean, they they were supposed to uh, take that next step, you know, and finally uh, maybe win a national championship this year. I mean, uh, a lot of Georgia fans, you know, claimed in the off season and even, you know, some expectations within the program with that this was their year. And, I mean, they, they're they not going to meet those expectations. And now they're playing Baylor in the Sugar Bowl, a motivated Baylor team. And Georgia's probably going to have a couple players that might sit out. Uh, and, it's, and then they now just lost their head coach – not head coach, but their – Offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, to Arkansas. I mean, times are uh, it almost feel. It, – it, I'm not going to say the window's closing, but
1: it almost has that vibe now in Athens. Uh, I feel like that's a little bit of a reach. Uh, I would definitely take – I know Holt would definitely take 11-2, losing that SEC championship game, as, like, I, I wouldn't – I wouldn't say, like, okay, you're a, you're a failure as a team or as a coach. I mean, it's just – it's hard. It's hard to win the SEC's championship and go to the playoff every single year. you got to realize what kind of bar you're setting yourself up for there. I know they have top five recruiting classes every year, but um, it's it's not easy to win the conference championship game and go to the playoff every year. So, Holt, do you think that's a little bit unrealistic expectations for Georgia?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think – you know, I'm really – I think if you're a Georgia fan right now – um you kind of feel like the world's ending and like you know like j v saying like your window's closing but the way kirby smarts recruiting like you know they're not going anywhere and um the main thing that they need to focus on right now and you know obviously we'll have like um you know a long off season to talk about this but they've really got to do something with their offense i mean like they're the offense coordinator they promoted the name i always forget his name what's the name jb our Georgia's offensive coordinator, James Coley. Like I, I, for some reason, like I just can't remember his name. But he has been like an absolute train wreck. Um, it's been terrible. They have one of the best offensive lines in the country, a stable of great running backs, and they just have not been able to do anything. I mean, you know, they may not have like some great receivers, but they got some decent receivers. Like they're not terrible. And there's no excuse for them to be as bad as they've been on offense this year. I mean, absolutely none. Um, and I think that if Kirby Smart is serious about winning a national championship, then he needs to go out and hire, uh, you know, an offensive coordinator um, that's in the mold of uh, some of the other teams in the SEC, um, like LSU, Alabama, and uh, some other teams throughout the country have done um, and try to, you know, really turn this offense into the juggernaut that it can be with the talent level that they recruit. And, um, you know, because this uh, this offense are running right now with the short passes and uh, just running the ball straight the middle, not getting anywhere is, is not going to. You know, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to win a national championship. It may win them 10, 12 games a year, but it's not going to give them, you know, wins over those big games, you know, in those big games against those teams that can put up points and that can match Georgia's talent level.
1: Yeah, it's – I don't know who they would hire at this point. I mean, it's kind of hard for me to think about them. I mean, you know who actually would have made sense, but it doesn't now, is Cliff Kingsbury because he got fired at Texas Tech. And if he didn't take that Arizona – or not – yeah, the Cardinals job a Cardinals job, then he'd be, like, in no man's land and try to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. That would have made sense for him at Georgia. But, I mean, it's obviously a moot point now. But um, somebody like that would be great at Georgia. I don't know if that would be well-received, though,
2: because I feel like that uh, goes against the kind of offense they're used to running. Yeah, but, I mean, they got to evolve as a program. I mean, we saw it this year. Um, you know, we saw it on Saturday. When you play teams that can match up against you talent-wise and some teams that can put up some points on your defense – um, you know, you're going to have to be able to score back. You know, you can't just win every game with defense. You're going to have to win some games with offense. And um, right now their offense is just lagging way behind uh, the best teams in the country. One of y'all
1: was telling me um, about the tweet you saw that uh, Kirby Smart and Mark Rick had the same record over like the first yeah. four years, whatever it is. It's
2: not the exact same, but it is very similar.
1: And it, I think it's it's been tracking like that because Mark Rick actually started off really great at – Georgia two and one the SEC championship his first year or something like that so um, it's kind of kind of crazy how similar they are and it makes me wonder if uh, Kirby Smart is going to regress back to the uh, Mark Rick standard where they what when we used to call Georgia Georgia Ink when they'd like go ten and two they'd be like a top preseason top ten and lose a game like to South Carolina that they're not supposed to for some reason and still go like eleven and one or ten and two the only difference is that. Um, I feel like Georgia now is playing in the uh, championship game, the SEC championship game, more than the Mark Rick Georgias, But um, that's also has a lot more to say about Tennessee and Florida than anything else.
2: Yeah, no, you're definitely right. And, I mean, I hate to make this whole thing about Georgia because obviously LSU and Joe Burrow played a great game. But that's just the main thing that stands out to me is, like, when I watch this game is, like, you know, Georgia's offense, they got to figure something out. Kirby Smart's got to, you know, evolve with the times – you know, he's got to learn from, you know, his former <laughs> protege, uh, Nick Saban. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. And, uh, sorry, sometimes I use big words. Protege. I, I'm not That's a uh, right <laughs> French ass name, Holt. Um, <laughs> I like it. But, uh, I got to say, uh, he's got to learn from Nick Saban and, um, you know, evolve with the times and, you know, go get an offensive coordinator who's not afraid to throw the ball down the field and some explosive receivers, uh, to go along with them. And, um, you know, you can still recruit big offensive linemen and, good running backs to run the ball. And that can still be, you know, um, you know, I guess the, you know, that main identity of your offense, but you're not going to be able to win games if you're not able to throw the ball down the field and say college football.
3: Yeah. And I agree with Holt too. Um, you know, it's not just uh, losing Jim Chaney, their offensive coordinator last year, but now they just lost Sam Pittman, their other best offensive assistant. So they've lost their two best offensive assistants in the last two seasons. And uh, if Kirby Smart doesn't make a change. I mean, they're going to be in trouble next year. I mean, I he's definitely got to make a change. I just don't think they're going to get any better with Coley as
1: Robson's coordinator. I mean, they're, they've they gone stagnant. They've regressed. and Jim, You keep saying trouble. I mean, to me, trouble, like, they still have a floor of 10 wins next year. I mean, I guess they, they wouldn't well, have Well, the a trouble call-
3: is that they're going to uh, let some other schools catch up to them in the SEC, and they're not going to be able to keep up with Alabama and LSU because both of them, you know, they're going to be able to score and, you know, Georgia's defense is great. There's nothing wrong with defense, but you still got to be able to fix that offense too, because foot, college football nowadays is definitely more offensive driven. And, and Kirby Smart is going to have to, uh, you know, make some really critical
1: decisions this off season with his offensive coaching staff. It would be interesting to see what their offense would look like with Justin Fields and Sam Jake Fromm. That would definitely yeah, be. I mean, Georgia right
3: now is, I mean, I think LSU and Alabama are definitely ahead of them and, you know, Florida is slowly catching up to them too. And, you know, Auburn's not that far behind either. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they're, they're slowly, I think they're getting closer to that second tier than they are at the top tier if they don't yeah. improve their offense. I don't know. I
1: just, I like, I think Alabama's going to be good as long as savings there, but coach O at LSU. I mean, what, what happens with Dave, when Dave Aranda accepts a head coaching job or Joe Brady accepts a different offensive, like a complete offensive coordinator or a head coaching job somewhere. I mean, you you think that LSU or Coach O can replace oh, them like Nick Saban's replaced his coordinators at Alabama. I don't think it's the same, especially since Coach O is not what everybody says is that he's not as great of a great like, individual coach or positions coach. He's just a CEO of the program. I just don't see. I just think LSU is great right now because they have two great coordinators, essentially, even though Joe Brady's technically like the QB coach or passing game coach, whatever it is. I mean, because their offense is good because of Joe Brady and the defense is good because of Dave Veranda. And once they leave, I just don't know if they'll be good. So, I don't know if LSU is going to stay up where they will be, where they are right now. Yeah, Cause... I mean,
3: you're making a good point, but also LSU allots more money for its assistant coaching, you know, salary pool than any school in the country. So, you know, when the day comes, obviously when Brady and Miranda you know, leave for, you know, better jobs, I mean, Ordron's going to have a ton of money to to have to work with. And he's going to go out and get the best assistance that he can possibly find. And and he'll be able they'll be able the LSU will give him the money to pay him too. So, I mean, not to say that Brady and Aranda are replaceable. I mean, they're obviously the best of the best at, you know, each side of the ball, but Orgeron's going to be able to attract, you know,
1: he's shown that he is not a difficult guy to work for. And he gives free range to his assistants. Definitely a fun. And I wouldn't say easy job, but like you do have a lot of resources there with all of the recruiting and exactly. Um, other conference championship games, um, man, Holt, this actually wasn't as fun of a weekend as it could have been on the actual game slash football conference championship side. Um, I guess the most
2: exciting one was the Baylor Oklahoma game, Holt. Oh yeah, by far. I mean, you know, I guess you could throw the Memphis Cincinnati game in there as well. It was pretty exciting, but, uh, you know, the Oklahoma Baylor game, you know, you knew that the the winner of that game had a pretty decent shot to make the playoff as long as, you know, LSU was able to beat Georgia. And, um, you know, Baylor battling through some quarterback injuries. They played three different quarterbacks in this game. Um, And, you know, it was just a really exciting matchup. Um, Baylor's defense was really able to slow down Oklahoma and uh, really surprised me a little bit, actually, um, how well that they played. I I know they're a good defense, but um, they really came out and I thought played really well. Uh, But Baylor, Um, had a couple big plays from their backup, both of their backup quarterbacks, and um, you know, it was a really exciting game. But I really felt like when Baylor had that long touch or that long uh, run uh, or pass, I should pass and run. Like he caught it, but then he ran like you know all the way down the field, um, to about the ten or eleven yard line. Um, they're down by three with like five or six minutes left. I really felt like right then when they had to settle for a field goal to tie the game instead of take the lead, I really felt like the momentum shift back to Oklahoma because um, after that play, it really looked like Baylor had a shot to win. But um, once they had to settle for that field goal, I just kind of felt like Oklahoma was going to outlast them in the end, and that's ended up, you know, what happened. So, um, you know, you got to give Baylor a lot of credit. You got to give Matt Rule a lot of credit. Um, I'm not sure how many guys on Baylor's roster could have played at Oklahoma, you know, coming out of high school. And uh, for them to, you know, come out and basically two games this year, you know, coming up just short in both games is is tough. But, you know, you got to give them a lot of credit. And um, it was a fun game to watch. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts are in the playoff. Matt Rule
1: is looking like a better coach by each game, seems like. I mean, he did give up – or Baylor did give up that huge lead to Oklahoma uh, the first game. But, uh, I mean, I think most – I don't know. I, I feel like most people just assumed Oklahoma was going to win this one pretty easily because they should have won the first one pretty easily. But it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And Baylor looks like no joke uh, of a team right now. They look pretty tough to play um, despite them not having the best recruits. Um, Holt, I want to stay with you for a second because I feel like this is a question for you personally. Um, were you more disappointed in Wisconsin giving up the huge lead to Ohio State or Utah just not showing up at all in the Pac-12 I was
2: way more disappointed in Utah. I mean, to come out in such a big game and just absolutely just look flat um, from the start. I mean, you know, it's really disappointing to see. Um, You know, I I think we all knew that like their offense wasn't great, but I really expected more out of their defense in this one. Defense has been so good all season, and um, Oregon kind of just ran the ball all over them. Um, You know, the Verdell, the running back, had a huge game, um, and you know. Utah prides itself on being a defensive line team and a physical team and a team that stops the run, and they just they just weren't able to do it. Um, Oregon ran the ball over them on Friday night, and um, it was really tough to see. It's tough to watch. And, um, you know, I know if you're a Utah fan, that's just – that hurts so bad with, you know, them having an opportunity to make the playoff. And, um, you know, I, I think they would have been in if they'd have won. Um, and I know, you know, J.B. and some other people think that, um, Oklahoma would have jumped them if they had both won but I mean I think that they had a legit shot to make the playoff and it, I mean honestly as much as it pains me to say it really reminds me of the Mississippi State in 2014 Um, you know losing the last game of the season and uh, you know when they were number four in the country and uh, dropping out of the bowl pitcher uh, even though some people said Ohio State would have jumped them that year you know the team that initially didn't have it at all but um it kind of reminds me of that so I definitely feel for Utah fans and um, you know, I hate, I really hate it. And I love Kyle Whittingham as a coach, but um, I mean, he really does not have a great record in big games. And I'm not really sure why they always seem to play worse in big games. I mean, they're, they're able to be good teams during the regular season, but for some reason, when it's like that really big game, they just have trouble winning it for some reason. Minus that Alabama, whatever bowl game was like,
1: yeah, whatever. I mean, j-
2: I've, I, actually mentioned that to JB, and he brought up the exact same game. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that. But, I mean, I don't – I feel like anytime Alabama is not in, like, a national championship type game, they just don't play well. Um, that was, obviously, very early in the saving tenure, and they had not been to a national championship yet. But I feel like that Alabama team was really based around – or was really playing for that Florida game and the SEC championship game. And when they lost that, it was – you know, they didn't really completely show up for that game. But, I mean – at the same time, I mean, yeah, I guess that was a good win. Um, yeah. And uh, led by current uh, Florida Gators offensive assistant, Brian Johnson, a quarterback for Utah saw that game, by the way. Fun facts. Fun facts as always.
1: Um, yeah, Alabama not playing in the playoff or their um, – I mean, back in the day, there was a PC- BCS championship game or bus, and now it's the playoff. Them not playing in the playoff now is, like, a huge letdown. It's just, like – their whole team, half their team's not going to play because they're going to save themselves for the draft, and it's not really important to them anymore. Um, so understand that. Um, JB, um, this Memphis-Cincinnati game, uh, we're not going to talk about uh, this game for two hours, like I would like to. But um, this game, I'm wondering if you if you followed the twitters and the message boards uh, for this game, Memphis, Memphis fans were freaking out in the first half, saying like, "Oh man." Norvell just like hurting the program because everybody knows that his his heart's not in it this game because he's thinking about Florida State and the players know that he's going to go to Florida State so they're not playing up for him. And then you know, the second half comes around okay. and they play fired up and they end up winning the game. Um, did you did you think that the Florida State thing had anything to do with the way Memphis looked in the first half? Or I, I, me personally, I think it's more of just playing Cincinnati a second time and them adjusting more.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely uh the second thing you said. I mean it has more to do with just playing Cincinnati back to back weeks. I mean, I talked about it in the preview. I mean, I actually I mean I did pick Cincinnati to win. I mean I thought they would cover the spread and I actually thought they would actually upset Memphis. I mean it's just hard to beat the same team twice in back to back weeks and there was a lot of pressure on Memphis to win this game too. I mean Cincinnati, I mean I do what you could say was playing with House of even though, because if they won, like it wasn't a guarantee they would get the New Year's six slot. They would still need, you know, to jump Boise State. So, I mean, it was not a guarantee for them. And, yeah, but I, I thought this was going to be a really close game. I mean, Cincinnati is a really good team, well, really well-coached team. Luke Fickle done an excellent job. And, um, I mean, I, I think a lot of Memphis fans writing that game off thinking it would be, you know, an easy win. It was – I mean, I, it was definitely a uh, close competitive game, exactly how I thought it would be. And, you know, Memphis, you know, found a way to win and send Norvell out on top. And now the program's going to the Cotton Bowl and playing – Penn State. I mean, times are really high in Memphis. Even with losing Norvell, it's definitely an attractive uh, group of five job. Actually, it's the most attractive group of five job.
1: Yeah, that or App State, which we can we can talk about later. Um, yeah, so uh, let's move on to the coaching changes. We still can talk about the uh, playoff final ranking, which will will kind of tie into the playoffs and the bowl games in general, but let's just make sure we have enough time to cover all these coaching changes. So, The news started breaking on, I think it was, was it Lane Kiffin first, JB, on Friday night, like late Friday night or it was like afternoon Friday?
3: It was late Friday night when the Kiffin news started to, uh, you know, get into the Twitter sphere. Uh, uh, Neil McCready, who used to work for AL.com, who was a uh, local reporter in Oxford, was really the one that was on top of it and, you know, was putting up the, you know, the first word that uh, Kiffin was in deep negotiations with Ole Miss and, he was really the first
1: one to break it when it became official, too. Yeah. and whole, yeah. whole Smash, when you see stuff like this pop up on your Twitter about, like, Lane Kiffin to Old Miss, do you first, like, do you take it for what it's worth at face value, or do you, like, start searching and researching to see if you can validate other people reporting this?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I'm somewhat familiar with Neil McCready. I mean, I just – I know who he is just from, you know, stuff that he's reported in the past. Um, I believe he was the one, I may be correct, but I'm pretty sure he's the one that broke the news about Matt Luke leaving uh, or being let go. Um, so he usually is pretty well sourced within, you know, the Ole Miss, um, you know, I guess, the athletic department. Um, and uh, he usually has pretty good uh, information. So, I mean, when I saw him say that, I, I definitely, you know, thought it was legit. And um, I had heard some rumblings um, a couple of days before, um, from someone we actually used to play baseball with. I don't know if you remember. I'm not gonna say his name on the podcast, but um, he uh apparently has some sort of relationship with like some really high boosters at Ole Miss, and um, actually lives uh, next door to Jimmy Sexton. Um, so I actually had some inside information a couple of days ago that it may be Lane Kiffin. Um, so I was, uh, not too surprised, but um, very uh very cool uh for Ole Miss. Um, he's a big name and he'll definitely, you know, win the press conference and, you know, all that stuff and kissing babies. Yeah. And, uh, get a burner phone. Did you hear that? Yeah. Saw that. Yeah, that was pretty then, funny. Yeah, yeah. That was really funny. And he already tweeted about it too. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's, you know, I think it's a really good hire for Ole Miss. And, um, you know, as far as, you know, getting there, getting some excitement back, I think that's the main thing with Ole Miss right now is there's no excitement among the fan base um, you know, at the end of the season and with Matt Luke, I mean, I think their attendance was one of the worst in the SEC this year. Um, you know, I think only above maybe like Arkansas and maybe Missouri and that might Vander- be it. Vanderbilt. I mean, that's, I'm in Vanderbilt.
1: Do you still consider Vanderbilt in the SEC?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, I don't know why I said Arkansas. I actually meant to say Vanderbilt. I meant to say Vanderbilt and, uh, Missouri, but anyway, um, definitely, um, an apathetic fan base to say the least. So they definitely need some excitement. I think Kevin's definitely going to bring that. Um, I think he's going to put together a really good staff. He's shown in the past that um, he's not afraid to bring in, you know, really highly rated assistants and um, assistants like working for him. So um, I definitely think that uh, he's going to put together a good staff there. They're going to create some excitement and, um, you know, it should be a lot for Ole Miss fans to get excited about. Yeah, and the staff.
3: Uh, um, the newest stuff that I've seen is that Kendall Bryles is going to be brought along as the offensive coordinator, uh, and Mack McIntyre is going to be retained. That uh, hasn't been given the title what he will be doing, and apparently Kiffin's also talking to Charlie Strong. So things are starting off on the right on the right foot for uh, Kiffin as far as like assembling a really top-notch staff that a staff that you really don't see. Like it's probably the best staff that they'll ever see have, have ever seen in Oxford in their pa- in the past like. 25 30 years. I mean, he's about to
1: assemble a staff that you would see somewhere like Alabama. I know, um, there was reporting uh Barry Odom to po- to Memphis possibly as a head coach, but um, I think his name's gonna get floated around a lot for great defensive coordinators. Like, I've already heard um, I heard Virginia Tech at one point because he had the Justin Puente yeah, in there, but that they already hired somebody else. But Texas, I've heard with Tom Herman and he's like trying to replace his whole staff basically, but that'd be another one. Um, to look out for, like trying to be a top defensive coordinator somewhere.
3: Yeah, Barry Odom definitely has it made this uh, carousel. I mean, he's got some options. I mean, if he wants to be a head coach again, I'm pretty sure that that Memphis job is – I'm not going to say it's his to lose, but I definitely think he's a top candidate there. But, you know, if he wants to take a deep breath and take a little step back, I mean, I think the Texas defensive coordinator job is definitely one he'll be looked at. And another one is uh, Pete Golding possibly leaving Alabama and the Alabama defensive coordinator job coming up. And I could see Barry Odom getting a look at Alabama, too. So, I mean, he's going to have some options. I mean, it just depends if he really still wants to be a head coach. And if he
1: does, then I think Memphis would be a possible landing spot for him. I would be highly surprised if he ended up at Memphis. I know there was, like, that report, but I just feel like the fan base is too strongly against this, uh, coming from, like, a high offensive uh, I would say powerhouse, but high offense, high octane offense with Mike Norvell to going to defensive coordinator route. Uh, when we have Silverfield and like all these other offenses, uh, yeah, but we'll see. But um, he can definitely absolutely, yeah, he can be at App State or defensive coordinator somewhere else. Um, we'll see. But um, yeah, what I was actually I was curious when uh, Holt was talking about. Um, I guess he knows a guy that knows a guy that knows Jimmy Sexton uh i was i was thinking about jimmy Sexton at this time of the year and Jamie, do you think it'd be do you think it'd be any i guess what i'm trying to say is would it be more fun to be anybody else than jimmy Sexton right now at this time of year i just feel like it'd be so much fun i mean it's a busy time for him but like he could he could literally do anything he could like just float rumors out that um you know Lane Kiffin might be going to Arkansas, and that'll get Ole Miss to hire him pretty quickly.
3: Absolutely, yeah. This is the time of year where Jimmy Sexton's in the spotlight. I mean, this is
1: this is also the
3: time of year where he makes his money too. Like he's gonna, he he's not. It's not the coaches that are just getting paid raises, you know, too, or or you know, taking new jobs. Like he's also getting some raises too from the uh, you know the negotiations that he's in. I mean, he's he's always floating names out and floating rumors. I mean, he's got tons of connections. I mean, he controls the market and the. SEC coaching carousel and a lot of the market around the country too. I mean, he's he's definitely got a monopoly. I mean, he he has uh, eleven of the fourteen SEC coaches are signed with Jimmy Sexton too. So I mean, he's he's
1: got control in the SEC. I don't know for sure, but I would I would guess that Norvell's with him too. He um, is. But uh, did y'all hear that uh, Clay Helton was one of his clients and uh, USC was so pissed off with the way. Uh, his buyout was structured that they're not going to consider any uh, Jimmy Sexton clients for the future head coaching job at USC. I mean, I'm assuming like that means they wanted to fire him this year, but the buyout was too big and they're pissed off about that. So they're just going (laughs) to stop looking at Jimmy Sexton clients.
3: Yeah. Jimmy Sexton definitely takes care of his clients. That's, that's no, no doubt about that. And he definitely screws over the schools with those hefty buyouts. He also represents Willie Taggart too, I believe. So that was, and you know, that hefty buyout that he had. So, I mean, he definitely takes care of his guys. The,
2: the Atlanta Braves tried the same thing with, like, Scott Boris a few years ago, and that didn't last very long because he yeah. represents, like, everybody.
1: Yeah, I would say that's that's like, that's like a bold move if you want to do that. But then you're going to be, like, hiring, you know, the – like, you're going to be hiring Bush Jones. Even then, Bush Jones is Jimmy Sachs' client, so you can't even do that. You can't even hire Bush Jones. You have to hire somebody else. it's um, crazy. Um, hold As a Mississippi State – fan and proud alum are you nervous about Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss now given that
2: um you still hate your head coach at Mississippi State I mean I'm I mean I definitely feel like he's an upgrade over Matt Luke um you know I don't feel like they just hired like the next next statement or anything like that or he's gonna go there and like you know start winning 10 games a year um you know I mean you look at his track record you know he coached the one year at Tennessee um, he spent a few years at USC, and right. you know, I mean, his head coaching record really wasn't that great. And I mean, um, I know he had he was dealing with some sanctions at, at USC, but um, it's still the Pac twelve, and you're still USC, and you should, you know, still have a significant talent edge over the, the rest of the teams in your conference. And the uh, he the, still struggled, um, I guess, to be a, a consistent coach. So I don't really, you know, I'm not like um, of the opinion that he's just going to come in and be awesome. I think he's going to stabilize uh, Ole Miss, bring some excitement, which, you know, um, you know. I guess I'm worried about a little bit. but um, And then, like, recruiting as well. But, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm more concerned about, like, Mississippi State and, like, Joe Moorhead and what they're doing with him than I am about Ole Miss. But, you know, I don't look at this and think, like, oh, no, they just hired, like, the next, like, great coach. Um, I just kind of look at him as, like, uh, you know, like the next coach. And I think he'll, you know, maybe have a couple good seasons. But for the most part, I think it's going to be, you know, Pretty standard Ole Miss football.
1: Yeah, it's um, you kind of have to like hold yourself back because at first you want to like you think of Lane Kiffin. And when you hear that, you think like, okay, well he's this is the guy that was the offensive genius at Alabama with uh, Hertz and all the other, even with like Jay Jay Coker and all the other, Barrett, whatever his name was. The um, I would say Barrett Sims. Blake Sims, Blake, Blake Sims, Sims yeah. Blake Sims. Yeah, uh, yeah, they all he always did. He did really good with them. And you want to think of that first when you think of that's the guy Ole Miss is getting. But you got to remind yourself, he wasn't he wasn't great at USC when he got the big job. And even at FAU, like, he had this really good first year. And that second year, as in last year, was a huge disappointment. They should have won, like, nine or ten games. They ended up winning, like, five games in the year two. And they, they did, obviously, pretty good this year. But it's not just necessarily an easy home run hire. And I don't really know if there truly are any home run hires because a lot of them – on the surface look like home run hires. Like, Harbaugh at Michigan looks like a home run hire, and he still hasn't beat Ohio State or got into the playoffs. So, it's just, it's not necessarily easy to have a home run hire, but I think this is a pretty good hire for Ole Miss, given Yeah, like,
3: I think it's actually the really the best hire that Ole Miss could have made, honestly. I mean, it wasn't a very attractive job. I mean, no offense to Ole Miss fans. I mean, it's, you know, they got some, it's it's not a bad, it's not a horrible job, but it's not the most attractive at the moment. I mean, they just fired, you know, Matt Luke, who you know, it looked like he was showing some improvement this year and they just, you know, up and fired him. But, you know, the reason he gets fired is because there wasn't a lot of fan support and that's what, you know, drives, you know, the money that comes into that department. But but like I said, I mean, he's going to definitely generate a buzz. Uh, it's, he's going to bring in a really good staff. I mean, it's it's just the best that they could have done, honestly. I mean, the other candidates that were, you know, potential candidates like Norvell, I mean, that would have been the other good one. But Norvell always had a sight set on Forest State and I mean that's they they weren't going to get you know an established sitting head coach you know at a big school like the I mean that's really the best they could have done I mean Mike Leach maybe could have been a candidate, uh, but I mean honestly I mean they did pretty well getting Lane Kiffin.
1: Yeah, it's um it's tough to recruit at Ole Miss, or recruit head coaches at Ole Miss. Um one thing yeah I I do like about Lane Kiffin is that um he is probably the best marketer of his program. I mean, nobody even really knew about FAU until he went there. And, I mean, everybody just kind of – or at least I did. I waited for his his tweets, his, like, clever slash witty tweets um, for FAU, and I thought they were pretty cool. And I think he'll do something similar with Ole Miss. He did that when he got to Tennessee. I remember Tennessee was like the – most talked about team in the offseason, even though they weren't even like a top 25 team. at the Exactly. Time. I mean, Kiffin's going to generate a buzz in Oxford, and he's going to help
3: put them back on the map, at least, you know, in the news. I mean, regard whether or not it's going to you know be good on the field, I mean, he's definitely going to have a buzz in Oxford, and you know he's going to embrace, you know, the traditions they have, I and mean, he's always been the same guy. I mean, he's, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. That's his strategy, and you know, it remains to be seen if he's going to win on the field, but I will say about his tenure at USC that he did inherit a really bad situation there, you know, with the probation they had with the thirty scholarships reductions and you know, two year bowl ban. So it wasn't the easiest situation to step into. And he had one really good year two where they won like ten games. So yeah. I mean it wasn't I mean, he wasn't horrible, but I mean he but I mean he definitely probably deserved to be fired at the end, but he wasn't absolutely horrible. I mean USC's been pretty bad, I mean, ever since then. even the coaches they've hired
1: since then they haven't really had any success. Yeah. They um, – when they fired him in that last season, it seemed like the players weren't weren't really playing for him anymore because they they rallied around Coach O as the interim coach after he got fired and won a, won a few big games that they shouldn't have. So um, – and that was like when Coach O was like, oh, maybe he could be the head coach at USC, which is kind of crazy to think about at the time. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does at Ole Miss. Um, I'm looking forward to um, him going head-to-head with Saban because there's always like that drama between – or, like, these story, stories people create about, like, how he didn't like working for Saban and all this stuff. So, I just think that's kind of a funny image, like, them shaking hands at midfield after either Alabama blows him out or Ole Miss Yeah, comes And then,
3: work. I don't know if you remember, when Kiffin lost to Saban in 2009, and when I, he was head coach at Tennessee, I think he told – the rumors that he told Saban at midfield that, I'm not going to lose to you again. Yeah, and and I never, know. He never got to coach against him as a head coach again, so – And this year he gets to host him in Oxford. So, that's going to be really interesting.
1: Yeah. Other coaching changes in the SEC. Um, We'll talk about Missouri later because that actually just broke today. We're going to have to talk about at least, like, I don't know, probably like two hours about Arkansas right now because it is a, like, 30 for 30 special waiting to happen right now. Yeah, it really
2: is. I mean, they had the whole thing with Lane Kiffin and um, a lot of people with that. And then it seemed like Norvell was kind of like a natural fit there due to him, you know, playing college ball in the state of Arkansas and, you know, obviously being at Memphis, which isn't too far away. Um, but, you know, obviously he gets courted by Florida State. Lane Kiffin ends up going to Ole Miss. And, you know, I think Arkansas fans started to feel like left at the altar a little bit. Like maybe they kind of missed uh, out on them. Yeah. Leach signed the uh, the extension at Washington State as well. Um, so, I mean, those were kind of like their three main candidates. So, um, you know, but I think uh, hiring Sam Pittman, um You know, I mean, I definitely think it is a solid hire. I love Sam Pittman as a coach. I think the fans at Arkansas are going to absolutely love him as a coach. Um, You know, but as um, we tweeted from SST Slow Smoke, and sort of like how I feel is um, it's really dependent on what he's able to do with his coaching hires. You know what I mean? Like, what kind of coordinators is he bringing in? Um, You know, offensive – what kind of offense is he going to run? Is this going to be like – are we going back to the Brett Bielema style offense where – you know, it's just going to be, like, big offensive linemen and running backs and just, you know, the basically the Georgia offense. Or, um, you know, is he maybe more adept to, um, you know, throwing the ball around a little bit? I mean, I would say I would definitely tend to lean to- more towards the former if I had to guess. Um, and I just, you know, I worry about that style of offense in the SEC, especially at a school that doesn't, you know, recruit as well. Um so I, I, you know, I definitely feel like when you're at Arkansas, you have to do a little bit, be a little bit different on offense, um, and then obviously whoever he hires on defense and um, is going to kind of determine it. I think it was kind of an interesting hire. I didn't really expect it, um, but I do love Sam Pittman as a coach. We've definitely mentioned him. Me and JB Death uh, both have definitely brought him up numerous times in this podcast for being a great coach. Uh, he's one of the, probably hands down the best offensive lineman coach in the country. And um, I definitely expect uh, that unit of Arkansas to uh, to be resolved uh, quickly with him under you know in control. It's, this seems like a reach to me, though.
1: It actually it reminds me of um, if y'all can remember um, in 2012 when they hired uh, John Smith as like the interim coach, I guess almost for, yep. for when when Petrino had his issues. Yeah. Yeah, for like a year and I, I don't even know if it was like agreed upon that like it wasn't gonna last after the year or what, but um I feel like everybody knew that like this wasn't a long term solution. But I feel like at this point they almost should have just kept Chad Morris for year three and just tried to get a better coach after after this end of this next season when there's better coaching candidates that I, like might consider because it's just it's just like it's kind of embarrassing and I don't know. I mean Yeah, I think it depends upon his assistants as well. I mean, I think I read somewhere that he might take like the CEO route that Coach O's taking. If he like just doesn't really try to micromanage and has great assistants that um, he can pay a lot of money to, I think that might work. But Arkansas is is in like a desperation mode for rebuild right now because it's um, it's not looking great. You know, you I talked about that uh, 2012 year with. John Smith, that that was that four and eight and two and six in the SEC. That would be like a good year for Arkansas next year if they did that. And they're not even there yet right now.
3: No, I mean, next year, I mean, you just want to see some
1: improvement. I mean, they never saw improvement, you know, the two years under Chad Morris.
3: I and mean, if they win four games next year, that's a step in the right direction for Arkansas. I mean, Chad Morris left, you know, the cupboard really bare and, I mean it's going to be it's going to be a tough uphill climb for a Sam Pittman but you know he's really respected around the SEC, and he's really he's known as a really good recruiter too I mean if Arkansas can give him some time and he can show some improvement I mean they can get back to a bullet in a
1: few years Yeah there was already like a Georgia recruit that like tweeted out something about um I'm not answering questions about my commitment or my status right now given the coaching changes he was talking about obviously Sam Pittman I I doubt he would go from Georgia to Arkansas being like a five-star recruit right now, but he could, I guess. Um, but it would just be interesting to see. I mean, like on the surface, it just doesn't look like a great hire to me, but I've, I could be wrong. You never know. It's like Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt doesn't look like a great hire. And I don't necessarily know if he is a great hire now, but um, it's definitely better than what I initially thought. You kind of talked yourself into it. And then you were like, what, what were you thinking after they lost to Georgia state, but it's, it's a different situation Tennessee. Uh, I was wondering this JB though, um, this Arkansas coaching search, was this still better than Tennessee's coaching search as in, was it not as embarrassing as Tennessee coaching search? No,
3: it's not as embarrassing. I mean, it was yeah. definitely a little more quiet and you didn't see Arkansas fans, you know, having revolts over the coach too. I mean, I don't, you didn't see them revolts over a uh, Sam Pittman. I mean, a lot of Arkansas fans, you know, wanted Kiffin, they wanted Norvell, but you know, both of them took took other head coaching positions. Uh, Brian Harston was another name that was rumored and floated out there, but, Obviously, he's not uh, going to Arkansas. He looks like he's going to probably stay at Boise State as far as we can tell. I mean, Sam Pittman, you know, had some, you know, three good years, you know, coaching the offensive line under Bielema at Arkansas. And he was really well-liked in Fayetteville, too. And he loved his time there. But, you know, of course, when Kirby Smart took the Georgia job, he, you know, bolted there and became the associate head coach and offensive line coach. And But he loved his time in Fayetteville. And he's got, you know, he's going to have uh, – and also, another thing about him is that this is his first time taking a head coaching job too. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, but you know, you don't you don't know what you can do until you, you try. Like a lot of times, you know, a lot of these guys, it's it's happened a lot in the SEC too, where you get you know a guy getting his first opportunity. Will Muschamp got his first opportunity. Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, you know, Mark Rick was an OC at Florida State when he got his job at Georgia.
1: I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it happens a lot. David Cutcliffe before he got this. The point I want to make is that those are offensive and defensive coordinators. This is the offensive line coach JB. It is, that's what like, it that never really happens. The offensive line coach going from yep, offensive yeah, line that coach is,
3: coach I agree. Down. I can give you one example though of an offensive line coach that became a head coach and was highly successful, and that was Luke. Uh, nope, it's actually uh, <laughs> Philip Fulmer when he took over at Tennessee, and of course he won a national championship, and you know, had like a 17-year career there. So I mean. Offensive line coaches, it can happen. I mean, I'm not saying that uh Sam does can have had the success of Phil Former, but you know, it's happened.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I guess that makes you feel a little bit better. Uh if you want a little bit more reference, Mike Munchak, the Titans coach at one point, was uh, they um was an offensive line coach and they didn't do great. That's NFL, so not apples to apples, but um it just doesn't happen often as a line. Yeah, but the offensive
3: things. linemen are the smartest guys on the team too, and it's the most complicated position, believe it or not. So it means I mean, you know, you know, who knows? I mean, Pittman, I, I have confidence in Pittman that he can be a good coach for Arkansas if Arkansas fans are patient. And I think they will be patient with Pittman because they already knew about him beforehand and they like him.
1: I just know if I was an Arkansas fan, I would not be excited about Sam Pittman. Uh, but we'll we'll see. Maybe uh, the, another thing I'd be really pissed off about is if they end up giving him like a fat contract with a huge buyout, like right after this old Chad Morris thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I when I look at this hire, I mean, just like I said, a lot of it is dependent on – you know, if he can just come in and instill some discipline and just, you know, they have like a solid strength and conditioning program and they just get like some dudes who just look like SEC football players and he's able to find a quarterback that's halfway decent and they just – you know, they just do the little things like block and tackle, um, you know what I mean? They're just not like – you know, they just turn into like a competitive football team. I feel like if if he can at least do that – then, you know, it has to be a good thing because right now they're just in a position where they don't even look like an SEC team. I mean, they really – they look like a bad Sunbelt team. And I mean, that's not – you know, I don't mean to be, like, disrespectful, but, like, they don't tackle. They don't block. They don't – you know, they do well, I mean, the like they have ball. Like, they have one good player that's a running back, and then, like, that's pretty much it. They got their shit rocked by Western Kentucky,
1: and that's a Conference USA team, which is, like, maybe a step below the Sunbelt, so <laughs> – it's um Yeah. They're like a
2: bad Conference USA team. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't
1: put some respect on the Sun Belt They're better than that. Yeah. Uh, my apologies to a ULM. ULM, yeah. Um all right. So that's that's the Arkansas coaching. I'm I'm sure we'll have fun time talking about this one in the offseason for the Arkansas preview next year. Um the other head coaching job was the Missouri job that just got filled in the last like four or five hours today. Um, Eli Drinkwitz from App State is the new head coach at Missouri. His name got floated around a lot, but I just didn't take it too serious for a couple of things. I didn't think the prospective schools were seriously considering just because he was in year one at App State with a team that was already good last year before he got there. And um, two, I didn't think he would leave for – missouri arkansas will miss because he doesn't really have a connection there and it's i feel like he could try to do better after having a good year or two at app state but um the only way i was looking at this and I kind of just finding my mind was i was looking up his contract and he, he was making like 750 at app state which is a lot um it's not as much as slow smoke brings in ad revenue per week but it's still quite a bit of money and you know at Missouri is probably getting paid at least three million, a not closer to four million a yeah. year. I mean, it's, it's an upgrade. It's an absolutely yeah. an
3: upgrade. I mean, it's, it's not just that, but also the buyout. Like his buyout at App I don't know what it was, but I mean, I guarantee you, it was really cheap. And now his buyout's going to be in the millions at Missouri. It could be close to ten million for him. So I mean, he's taking care of himself, taking care of his family. I mean, he's set for life just by taking. it. Even if he fails, like, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely the right move for him to take that job. I mean, just compared to
1: what he was making at. It-
3: yeah, no, he, not he, the same with
1: move from Missouri though. He could have possibly waited another year to, to get a better job. But I mean Missouri's not in a bad spot at all. I mean, out of the three, I mean, they're definitely better spot than Arkansas, and they could be better spot than almost just because they're in the east. And that's that's the way I look at Missouri. But yeah. Missouri obviously doesn't have the recruiting area that the other two schools have, but right. uh, it's still still not a bad job. And they've yeah. shown historically they can be good.
3: Yeah. And I, I like the hire of an offensive minded guy at Missouri too. I think that's the recipe for success in Missouri is going with an offensive mind and they've got some pretty good, you know, weapons on that team, you know, on offense. I mean, you know, being an offensive minded guy, I mean, they could have a quick turnaround and, you know, get back to a, you know, a bowl next year with a winning record. I mean, it's not saying that Drinkwitz is not going to be successful, but he's still unproven because I mean, he was only at App State for one year and he inherited a gold mine that, you know, Satterfield had built. So, I mean, it's, There's still a lot left to prove for Drinkwitz, but, I mean,
1: he's got a pretty decent situation that he's inheriting in Missouri. This one was a little bit quieter, Holt. At one point, I think we were looking at, like, Blake Anderson for Missouri, and I feel like there's a couple other coaches, but Eli Drinkwitz, his name got floated a little bit, but not as heavy traffic as Blake Anderson or some of the other coaches. Yeah, at least
2: not for this job. I mean, Drinkwitz's job had – Drinkwitz's name had been brought up quite a bit, um, and I didn't really understand it. You know, I mean, obviously, he was what the offense coordinator at NC State last year, and this is his first year at App State, and kind of took over a program that, you know, was already set and ready to win. Um, So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to give him some credit for how he did this year. But, you know, I just started to think, like, he hasn't really proven anything. He's still pretty young. Um, You know, I just wonder, like, where the the hype from him comes from. Um, You know, I, I don't know. He must just, from what I can tell, just must be really respected, um, in coaching circles, and you know he must just be very well perceived, I guess, by athletic directors because it, it really just seems like his name was floated out there a lot, and it kind of came, came as a surprise to me, um, which he was being so highly coveted.
1: Would you rather have Blake Anderson as a Missouri coach if you were a Missouri fan?
2: I mean, that's honestly like I'm surprised he hasn't gotten a job by now. Um, he's he's
1: doing good, but not great. That's the problem. Yeah. He's like he's doing maybe just above average it's not like he hasn't won like 10 or 11 12 games consistently or anything like yeah he's won eight or nine games which is good but not great
3: but you know what I think Blake Anderson could be a candidate should be a candidate in Memphis I mean I- that'd be an upgrade for Blake Anderson to take Memphis job too and it'd be you know good for him I mean he hasn't gotten a power five job but he would inherit a great situation in Memphis and he's you know highly respected he's a decent recruiter really good players coach I mean i I would
1: like for Memphis to take a look at him because I just want Blake Anderson, you know, to move up and get a chance, you know. Um, I mean, he definitely wouldn't be an upgrade over Norvell. I mean, he would be a decent consideration. I don't know. There's for for Memphis, and we can talk about this off off the air. But there's um, there's a few different coaches. I, I actually like uh, Will Healy, the Charlotte coach. That's the other, yeah, that's another one that I was looking at. If you're if you're looking at sitting head
3: coaches. Um, Three of them, Will Healy, Hugh Freeze, and Blake Anderson be my top
1: three choices. Except I don't think they're going to go to you. It's just like you, you push some shitty candidates to Memphis. Like you're trying to push Bush, Bush Jones a lot. No, like, so those three candidates I push are not shitty. If you're going to tell me they're shitty, then you don't know anything. No, no, I'm saying like you you talk about Bush Jones a lot to Memphis, and I like I'm I just don't like the and Barry Odom. I don't want either of those two coaches. I don't think
3: Odom's a terrible candidate. I think that the I don't
1: think he was ready for the big job that he had at Missouri. I think a
3: place like Memphis in the American Conference might be good for him. Holt, would you uh,
1: disagree there?
2: Yeah, I mean I I just don't think that that's where you want to go if you're Memphis. I think for Memphis you kind of want to stick with an offensive minded guy, and you want to stick with someone who you know can at least bring some some excitement. Um, I don't think – like, I think if you're Memphis and you hire kind of like a retread coach um, from, like, the Power Five, it's just not – it's not as exciting. I mean, I think Odom would be a little bit better than Bush Jones, but not by a ton. Yeah. Uh, Bush Jones may not actually do, like, a terrible job at Memphis, I don't think, but it's just – you know, you need the fans to be behind the team. And, you know, if you hire Bush Jones, like a coach that, you know, all these fans are used to making fun of and, like, you know, they're used to teasing yeah. Tennessee fans about him and, like, all this stuff, like, that's just, like – you know, no nobody wants that. Like, he may actually do a good job if he were to be get an American really job, job. But, like, no one's getting behind that. You know what I mean? Like, no no. one's excited about
3: that. They wouldn't get behind him in the beginning. But once he started winning games and winning nine or ten games a year at Memphis, they would start to like him. And I think that's what he could do at Memphis, too, because he's a good recruiter. And, you know, the pressure in the American is not as high
1: either. If he were to get the Memphis job, he would have success there. I can guarantee you. I, I just, I just don't, they just want to be behind him in the beginning. I think you're forgetting about how hard it was to win at Memphis before Fuente and Norvell. It's yes, not like yeah, this, but, it's, it's three but, years
3: but. but he would inherit a really good situation. All he has to do is maintain. He inherited the same kind of situation in Cincinnati, and he won, you know, consistently nine or ten games every year in Cincinnati for three years while he was the head coach at Setse.
1: You're talking about Butch. I, yeah. I understand. I'm talking about Barry Odom. I, I don't know either. Either one. It's just it'd be it'd be tough. I'd be. It'd be tougher. I, I think everybody's kind of pulling more and more for uh, Silverfield than anyone because they, uh, I know the players like him a lot. So we'll, we'll see. I just, I, I saw that report again and I, I just don't know how that would go through because the fans really don't want Barry Odom as the pulse check I have from the inner webs. But um, that's not the SEC Slow Smoke podcast portion of the show. So, um, we talked about the three coaches now. We talked about the conference championship. Um, let's talk about the final college football playoff ranking. And I guess the only one that really matters is the top four. Um, this year, Holt, seems like it was the least dramatic for the top four. I feel like everyone knew who it was by Saturday night.
2: Yeah, I mean, really, the only thing that they could hype up on the show was who was going to be number one and who's going to be number two. And, um, you know, people make, like, a really big deal about it. And, I mean, it is sort of a big deal uh, because you don't want to play, you know, Clemson in the first round. You'd rather play Oklahoma. But it just seems like a trap. Like, it really does. It really just seems like um, whichever team got the number one seed was almost like, you know, you know, oh, well, the first round's going to be easy. Like, no, it's not going to be easy. You still have to go play Oklahoma and Jalen Hurts and a high-powered offense. And, you know, they're going to come into that game with a chip on their shoulder. And they've had to fight all season to get this poor spot. Um, ever since that loss at Kansas State, um, so I mean, I, I feel like you know, Clemson or uh, Oklahoma's got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, and uh, it's definitely far from an easy win. Um, and you know, they're definitely the redheaded stepchild of the four teams, but um, the 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 argument basically was for the number one spot between LSU and Ohio State. Ohio State went into the weekend number one. Um, you know, they had a rough first half against Wisconsin. Um and I think we, you know, we didn't really talk about this game a lot, but you know, it was twenty one seven in the first half, and then me and JB kind of looked at each other, both kind of the same feeling like, you know, should we get excited? But at the same time we we're like, we know we shouldn't because we know how State's just gonna come back and win this game convincingly, and that's exactly what they did. Uh completely dominated the second half, came back and won. And uh but, you know, LSU on the other hand, uh absolutely dismantled Georgia, uh, who is the committee's number four team in the country. Um and just Really, really embarrassed them, completely dominated the game, and um, was able to end up jumping Ohio State, which I think is about right. I think LSU, uh, you know, I don't know if they're the best team of the three between uh, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, but I definitely feel like they proved the most over the course of the season. And I think that's why they deserve to be number one. And then we're going to get a great matchup between Ohio State and Clemson uh, in that that two-versus-three slot. That's going to be a really exciting matchup.
1: We have what like three weeks now before the um, playoff games, and uh, so we have a lot of time to like think about
2: these. Did you guys? Uh, did you guys see? Um, I don't know who tweeted this, but it was like. Uh you know, Ryan Day and Dabo Sweeney are both up there kind of whining, complaining about, like, they think they should be, like, number one and blah, blah, blah. And then Ed Orgeron's like, man, I don't care if we play the Mar- – we don't care if we play uh, the Saints on Mars. We'll go play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ed, or-
3: Ed Orgeron doesn't complain. You know, he just,
2: you know, goes with what he's dealt with. He doesn't try to lobby for a team. He knows he's got a good team. Yeah. You got to love Ed Orgeron, though. Like, you really do. Like, I mean yeah, – I never – like, I'll be the first one to admit that, like, I thought the LSU hiring him was an absolute joke, and they totally missed a golden opportunity, Um, you know. And he's really proven me wrong. I mean, he's done an outstanding job there. And, um, I mean, man, like, you really just can't say enough about him and Joe Burrow and what they've been able to do this year. And um, – You know, you, you just every time Edward Drunk talks, I smile. Like I just I love yeah. I love hearing him talk. Yeah,
3: he's definitely the most entertaining coach in the SEC and I I could not be any more happy for Ordron too. I'm just glad that, you know, he's he's found his niche in in coaching and that he's found success and you know, he's he's turning himself into a legend in Baton Rouge. I mean I could not be any more happy for him.
1: Yeah. They are uh, they are legit. Um that being said, JB, I still even after what Holt said, I wouldn't want to play Clemson the most out of all this. Team. I think Clemson – I think LSU has played the best, but – or – I, I said I'm in LSU if I didn't say that. I, I think LSU has played the best, and especially on Saturday, but I think Clemson might be the best team.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an argument for Clemson, Ohio State, and LSU, but Clemson's scary just because, one, they're defending champs, too. They have that established culture and three, they got all their weapons from their offense back last year that won the championship, and they're clicking at the right time. I mean, their defense has been carrying them all season, but now the offense, you know, has come out of its slump, and they're clicking as well. I mean, right now I think it's it's Clemson and LSU are on a collision course to uh, meet in the, in the you know the national championship. And I mean, but I mean, not, not to discredit Ohio State, too. They've been awesome. I mean, they, they, they struggled, though, against Wisconsin for a lot of that game, and they did look like, you know, the world beaters they were, you know, most of the season, so – You know, it depends what Ohio State team shows up. I mean, if uh, you know, they struggled – like I said, they struggled against Wisconsin. But Wisconsin – I mean, sorry, Ohio
2: State and Clemson is going to be an absolute classic, though. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think about when I watch these teams is, like, you know, LSU's proven the most out of the three of them just by they played in the most big games and they played the best out of the three of them. But they've shown some weaknesses on defense throughout the season. And then you look at Ohio State – And they've been kind of, like, in the middle. They've sort of – played some pretty good teams. And, um, you know, the defense has been really good. The running game has been really good. But the passing game um, has generally been really good. But it's had some moments where it wasn't outstanding. And then Clemson has been just completely dominant all season. uh, But they haven't really had to play anyone with a pulse. You know what I mean? They've just been killing everyone. So we don't really know how good they are. So, I mean, I think Clemson may have the highest upside out of all of them. But I think LSU is a team you look at and you think like they like they've proven that they are the great team more than the other two.
1: You know, if you if you watch the games then you obviously know, like Clemson is one of the four best teams in the country. But if you just did like a blind resume and looked at Clemson versus like another great team, I mean, like you could. I mean, not to argue for Memphis, but you could you could like look at Clemson and say they went undefeated, but they didn't. What was they? They played Virginia was like the only top twenty five team, and that was in the ACC championship. They've yeah. only be like one. top And 25 I think they
2: may have knocked them out of the top twenty five too.
1: Yeah. So like you could you could look at Memphis and say like they went eleven or twelve and one and beat three top twenty five teams, and it's just it's just yeah, it's crazy because they um, like I said, Clemson should be in there because they are one of the best four four best teams, but they um, it's like they don't really get get in there based off their actual resume. They do it just because of the eye test more than anything. And they were there last yeah. year is my point. I'm
2: making. It's all preconceived notions. I mean, it really yeah. is. It's like, I mean, everybody knew coming into this year, Clemson was going to be great. They were preseason number one. Everybody knows about all the NFL players on their team, the five-star prospects. Everybody knows about Dabo and the playoff and what he's been able to do. And the fact that they're in the power five, obviously, you know, it does make a difference. You know, if if there were no preconceived notions – at all and it was just you know straight by the book just this season not looking at anything else not looking at recruiting rankings or nfl draft boards anything like that or coaching history you know i you know you really would have an argument yeah
1: and actually the acc besides clemson has been really shitty this year that's the kind of like theme everybody's been saying but like i keep hearing that like like clemson is disguising how bad the acc is this year
2: no they really are i mean it's it's a lot of average teams, um, you know, it's a couple of really bad teams. I, I don't know um, off the top of my head who's been, like, absolutely terrible. I know NC State and Georgia Tech both had really bad years, but um, I don't know if they have a team, like, as bad as, you know, Arkansas or Rutgers or Miami's anything like that. Really but bad. Yeah, Miami, it's, it's been a lot of bad, but not just absolutely terrible all season. Um, but, I mean, that being said, I mean, yeah, the ACC has been really bad, and you, you you also have to think like how many teams in the SEC would be undefeated if they had Clemson schedule right now? You made what five, four or five teams if they had Clemson schedule? I mean Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, obviously. I mean maybe even Florida. I mean, you know, like if they if they got to play Clemson schedule, what would their record be? Yeah, don't know. It's um it is what it
1: is though at this point. Um, all right, so we got the top four settled, and I think we all agree that LSU should be number one, although uh, one through one through three are the kind of you can almost say interchangeable. Um, Oklahoma, I think, and I know this is sacrilegious to root against SEC here, but I think it'd be a great story for Jalen Hurts to win a national
2: championship, transferring to Oklahoma after Alabama. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, we all love Jalen Hurts here, we mentioned that a lot. I think pretty much everyone in college football loves Jalen Hurts. I mean, just, you know, he carries himself, like, just really well. He's a born leader. Uh, He's really calm. He always, like, says the right thing. Seems like the moment's never too big for him. And, um, you know, he just needs a guy to pull for him. You know, he rode the pond last year and didn't pout, didn't, you know, do anything, didn't transfer, didn't post up on social media. Um, You know, he just came out, and then when Tua got hurt, he – came in and brought his team back in the SEC Championship game against Georgia. And, um, you know, when the season ended, you know, he was able to transfer to, uh, to Oklahoma, and then now he's led them to the playoff. I mean, it's, you know, it's a great story. And, um, you know, I think everybody, even Alabama fans, are happy for him. Yeah, especially Alabama fans. Um, let's talk about the bowl games here uh,
1: for a second. I don't know if I want to mention every single one of them, but I guess we can talk about a few. Um, JB, tell me what happened with Ball Twitter on getting them into the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl today. You know, I actually slept through the entire thing that <laughs> happened all this afternoon, like the
3: drama. Like, I, I took a nap, I started taking a nap uh, after, you know, it had been announced that Tennessee was going to the Music City Bowl. But apparently, uh, Fulmer, you know, really was lobbying for the Gator Bowl. And uh, the Gator Bowl was lobbying for Tennessee as well, even though the Music City was, you know, lobbying for Tennessee, you know, too. Like, both the Gator and Music City wanted Tennessee badly, but Fulmer preferred the Gator Bowl. So he got he was able to push for that and finally get that switch made and so Tennessee got to move to the Gator Bowl from the Music City. Uh Mississippi State got moved from the Belk to the Music City, and then Kentucky got switched from the uh Good. Gator Bowl to the Belk Bowl. So it was like, you know, a three way triangle here. And the two beneficiaries I would say are uh, Mississippi State going from Charlotte to Nashville, which is a lot closer to Mississippi State and Tennessee, goes to Jacksonville, where they hadn't been in a few years. And then Kentucky's the one that kind of got screwed over about having to go to Charlotte instead of, you know, Nashville, which is not
1: far from Lexington. Yeah. So, but the way I was saying is that, like... It was kind of like the Shiano thing that Vol Twitter took over and like made this happen. I didn't. I didn't hear about Phil Phil Palmer made this happen. I heard Vol Twitter made this happen on. Mm, I never heard about that. I think it was really just the battle between Vol Twitter and some Kentucky fans that were going back and
3: forth. Kentucky, I think, is just you know they're really upset about not getting a chance to play Indiana. And I think they just—I think it's just a lot of frustration. I mean, Tennessee is, you know, be, it's kind of owned Kentucky the last couple of years in all sports. So I mean, I think they're just the frustration just boiled over and off between Kentucky. I mean, they did kind of get screwed over here. I'm not going to lie, but you know, I don't know. I didn't really think it had anything to do with uh, Twitter. You know, in Tennessee fans don't want to go to Music City. There was a lot of Tennessee fans that wanted the Music City Bowl. It has the highest payouts. I mean, honestly, I think Tennessee fans don't really need to be greedy. I mean, they're going to a a, a decent bowl. <laughs> Yeah, and, I mean they're it's, they're still going to be going to I, mean, I think if I had a choice between the two, I'd probably choose the Gator Bowl because it's a warmer bowl, and I'd rather play a Big Ten team. But in all honesty, I mean it's it, there's really not a difference between the two. I mean I think most NFC fans were happy with the Gator or Music City, and they will definitely flock to either one of the two.
2: Yeah, I was just curious. Like I, I mean, I know you may have just kind of answer that right there, but like, why, why is like the Gator Bowl better? Like, I mean, does it make a difference? It's got that? a little more. I guess, I guess the argument is that it
3: has more prestige because it's an older bowl. It's been established around longer. But the Music City Bowl is definitely uh, gaining more steam as far as becoming a more prestigious bowl. Just like I said, with the payout, like it's higher. But, you know, Nashville, you know, of course, being, you know, a booming city, too. I mean, the Music City Bowl is definitely trying to move up the spectrum, just kind of like how, you know, the Peach Bowl and Cotton Bowl both moved up, too. I mean, the Music City Bowl has aspirations to be a bigger bowl one day.
1: Well, I, I'm confused. I thought the Gator Bowl in general was just a bigger bowl. Like, you played a better team if you're an SEC team in the Gator well, Bowl. that it, it was a higher
3: bowl, you know, for many years. Music City, you know, was not a higher bowl, but Music City's definitely gained ground, but it's in that, you know, pool of six that we call, but, but it's the second highest bowl payout in that pool of six, uh, only behind the Outback Bowl. It's ahead of the other bowls in that pool, including the Gator Bowl. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Music City's a high payout. I mean, can I mean, Mississippi State's getting a higher payout going there compared to the Bulk Bowl. Tennessee's taking a lower payout
1: to go to the Gator Bowl. Holy smash, which bowl game are you most excited for? And it can't be LSU-Oklahoma.
2: I mean, honestly, like, when I saw the Alabama-Michigan matchup, I actually was really intrigued by that. That was not something that I had heard until I saw it pop up on my TV. Um, I actually think Jim Harbaugh versus Nick Saban is a pretty interesting game. I know that uh, – you know, Michigan's kind of been a little bit disappointing this year and Alabama's going to not have Tua and they're going to have a lot of players sitting out for this game. But I still think this is a pretty big matchup. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh knows that this could be like a a momentum changer and a perception changer for him. Um, I know like it's not going to completely change until, you know, he beats Ohio State and makes the playoff. But if he could get a win over Nick Saban, um, I really think that that could get some Michigan fans back on his side and kind of – Uh, changed his perception a little bit as a coach. So I actually really expect Michigan to come into this game excited. And um, I think it's a pretty cool matchup seeing these two guys square off against each other. What about the Auburn-Minnesota Outback Bowl? That's what I'm – Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I was actually thinking that one as well. That's a really exciting matchup. Um, You know, Minnesota's had a great season. Um, Their offense is actually pretty pretty fun to watch. And, you know, they're going to be motivated for this game. This is the biggest bowl game they've been in in a while. And, um, you know, Auburn obviously um, got the big one in the Iron Bowl. And, you know, I I'm, I don't know about their motivation. Um, I have to maybe think about it a little bit more. Um, that's always what I think about in bowl games is, like, motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't know if Auburn is kind of like, you know, oh, well, you know, we beat Alabama and now it's over. And then, you know, they're going to the Outback Bowl for, like, the – you know, the eighth time in the last five years, it seems like. So, um, I don't know if they're going to be super excited to be there, but, you know, play another Big Ten team. But I think, you know, I I think this will be a – Minnesota should be pretty excited to be there. And, um, you know, it should be a pretty exciting game. I don't think Derek Brown's going to play if I had to bet. I'd say he's probably going to sit out. But, um, you know, we'll just have to see. Wasn't it last year that,
1: like, it was a big deal that Mississippi State was in the outback? What was that? two years ago. Yeah,
2: no, that was last year. That was yes. a really – okay. uh, Yeah, a really big play by John Cohen uh, last year to try to get State in the Outback Bowl uh, because it looked like they were going to try to send him to the Gator Bowl again, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, which obviously State's been there quite a few times the last few years. Um, and um, – but that being said, the Outback Bowl is a good game, so I definitely look forward to that. Um, you know, J.B. talked about Tennessee benefiting Mississippi State. And I mean, maybe – You know, a lot of Mississippi State fans will benefit from it. Uh, Not me personally, because now I'm probably not going to be able to watch the game uh, because I'm probably going to have to be working because it's during the day. Um, So I'm a little bit disappointed, and I'm also not super excited to play Louisville again because we just played them two years ago. And um, Pat Forty actually tweeted this, and it's actually a really good point. Mississippi State and Louisville have kind of become like um, out-of-conference rivals because it seems like we play uh, Louisville in every single sport. Um, you know, baseball we played, play. yeah, we played them in Omaha in baseball. We played them in, uh, like the women's basketball final four a couple of years ago. Um, you know, we played them in, uh, the NIT a couple of years ago. Um, it seems like we're just, we play them in every sport. We played them in the Gator Bowl two seasons ago. Um, so it seems like we're just always playing them. Seems like we always get matched up with Louisville one way or another. And I was kind of excited to play Virginia tech when that was kind of like the rumor thing. And I know that it would be tougher for a lot of Mississippi state fans to make it to Charlotte. And, you know, there wouldn't be as many fans able to go to the game. But I was a little bit more excited for that matchup specifically with, with Virginia Tech, just to play like a new team and yeah. um, you know, get some revenge on Justin Puente for, you know, leaving leaving uh our, our uh, neighbors to the north in Memphis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: you left Memphis, you
2: did what? <laughs> you don't mess with our little brother.
3: <laughs>
1: That's not funny, Dang, JP. (laughs) Dang, you were doing good the whole podcast until this. Oh, that was was... (laughs) – that actually just came out, like, uh,
3: just instantly. I didn't even put any thought into that.
1: That was wrong. I'm sorry, Alex. No, I mean, I don't care. It really, like, would be incorrect anyway because Mississippi State wouldn't – think of Memphis it'd be like you could say Ole Miss or Tennessee that'd be like what would be more accurate what people would say but anyway um, the only other game I want to talk about there's, there's a couple other ones like I'm not the one I'm least excited about is probably the Florida Virginia game because I just feel like Virginia is just there because they they have to be there um, the Georgia Baylor Sugar Bowl uh, kind of excited about because I think that could be another trap game for Georgia and I think The only only thing I think about that is that they're probably remembering last year against Texas how they they thought they would just blow out Texas because they should have been in the playoff and they weren't. Um, So I feel like they're going to be a little more focused against Baylor this year. But Baylor's a good team that people don't respect as much, I feel like. And Baylor's
2: going to be excited to be there, and they have a defense that's good enough to, you know, if Baylor's defense shows up to play, I don't think it really matters about Georgia's motivation Uh, because I think if Baylor shows up ready to play on defense, it's going to be a long day for Georgia's offense one way or another. It could be a really low scoring game too. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so we'll uh I guess
1: we'll do the previews. because um, the bowl games are kind of spread out a little bit, but not too much. I mean, it's like all still like mostly one weekend, uh New Year's around New Year's weekend. So we'll see yeah. we'll how we're gonna lay out the previews, but we'll we'll do it. We might have to do it in shifts, uh just to give everybody
2: <laughs> proper and, uh, time. I mean, Texas AM, Oklahoma State, a little old big swan rivalry, should be a pretty cool yeah, matchup t- too.
1: Two days after Christmas too. That one is December twenty seventh. Oh yeah. yeah, I was thinking. I'm really uh,
3: disappointed that the Texas Bowl did not get Texas and Texas A&M in that bowl. That that's, yeah. I just hate that, man. I want them to play in football. Like that would have been so awesome for both of them to meet in
1: Houston, have 50-50, you know, Texas and A&M fans. Yeah. Like that would have been so awesome. Yeah, so be excited to do the uh, actual predictions for these games because I'm curious what you're thinking on some of these. Um, we think we think the SEC can go
2: over five hundred in these bowl games. Yeah, I mean, I I just, you know, I worry about a few teams, you know what I mean? Like, I worry about Kentucky against Virginia Tech, yeah. um, you know, with Bud Foster having a month to prepare for that offense um, that, you know, obviously hasn't really been able to throw the ball. I don't know specifically if, if any of their hurt quarterbacks are supposed to be back or not. I don't believe they are, but I could be mistaken. Um, so, Bud Foster having a month to prepare for that offense, I think, Um, you know, it really might limit what Kentucky's able to do offensively. Plus, you know, I feel like their season kind of, you know, I don't want to say revolved around the Louisville game, but I definitely think that that was kind of like their stamp on the season. And, you know, they may not be as focused on the game as maybe they should be. Um, You know, and then, I, you know, Mississippi State, I don't think they're (laughs) ever going to win any game, obviously. So, if they're playing a power five team, I I usually feel like they're probably going to lose. But um, And then, you know, Tennessee versus Indiana. I mean, Indiana's been uh, low key pretty good this year. So um, you know, I don't know if Tennessee's gonna be able to win that game on just town alone. I guess it just depends on which Derek Garantano shows up. Say something.
3: Yeah, it's really gonna depend on uh you know Garantano and but also Tennessee's defense has been really, really good these last uh you know few weeks too and Indiana's offense, you know, is that's their strength too. So that's gonna be two strengths between Tennessee's defense and Indiana's offense. I mean that's gonna be a pretty exciting game, too. And, you know, both teams are going to have over a month to prepare because that game's going to be on January 2nd, the day after New Year's. Like, I think that's actually the last um, SEC bowl game. Uh, that's actually the last SEC team that will play, potentially, if LSU loses in the uh, playoff. Because after that, that's the last of the bowl games, I believe, for the SEC.
1: Yeah, it's always weird having the, like, bowl games, like normal bowl games after some of the playoff games.
3: Yeah, it's it, it's definitely. I think it's the last game of the. Uh, it
1: is I'm SEC at it. It's, bowl it's, slate. It's second,
3: so, so yeah, if, if LSU were to lose Oklahoma, that would be the last SEC game of the year, which would be really crazy
1: to think. Yeah, it's uh, so ever technically be the first of the year if you really think about it, because uh, it's in January. Um, any final words before we? Oh, aren't you so funny? Yeah, I am. You're right. Any final words before we call it a night on this great podcast?
2: Nope. Good job, guys. That was a good okay. one.
1: Good team effort. All right, guys, we'll, uh, we'll make sure to tweet out the link for the Bold Mania, but other than, uh, until then, uh, we will see you later.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SECSlowSmoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend, because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.